0: You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the podcast unafraid to make snakes on a plane references over six years after they become cliched. Hello and welcome to another fantastic episode of Just One of the Guys a Green Lantern Podcast. This is an internet radio show which covers the Green Lantern comic books from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, the two most awesome Green Lanterns in the core, and sadly the two most overlooked Green Lanterns in the core. Hello again, my name's Sean Engel, and I'm going to be your host for the show. And this week, we're going to be taking a look at Green Lantern comic number 16, which is the third part of the four-part story arc called Mosaic, which ran in the Green Lantern comics of this time. It's also the storyline that gave the Green Lantern character of Jon Stewart his own comic book at the time. It's a really interesting story arc, and even though the emphasis on this show is for me to promote the characters of Kyle Rayner and Guy Gardner, Jon Stewart's an interesting character in his own right. Now, John's gotten a lot of play in the recent Justice League cartoon, and now currently in the Young Justice series, so after Hal Jordan as Green Lantern, he's probably the most recognizable one. But at this time in history, his stint as the Green Lantern had only been for about ooh, about 20 years as a character, and even though he'd been around for that long, he hadn't really been featured up until the Ingleheart and Staten run in Green Lantern comics as a major character in the Green Lantern comic lore. In fact, initially, he was kind of trotted out as one of those stereotypical black superheroes who was, sadly, black first and a superhero later. I think it was a sad bit of story writing at the time that the writers and creators felt that if a character was one of color, he had to be a radical and had to spout statements about his oppression by the man. Luckily, John grew out of that and became a really interesting fleshed out character and these stories along with the stuff on the State and Staten run which if you want to listen to those stories are being covered by Green Lantern's Light go listen to Jeffrey David and Michael talk about that as well as the comics we'll be covering here in this show gave him less of a one-note feel. Also as I'm getting some preamble stuff out of the way for the podcast I'd like to thank the first person who gave me an iTunes review. And it's from Professor Allen, and sadly I didn't notice it until just recently, because it's dated April 14th of 2012. It's a simple review, and he actually gave me five stars and said, Excellent. Good work covering an interesting period of geo-history. Simple, but to the point, which is exactly what I would expect from Professor Allen. I think Professor Allen might be the same guy who has written in a few times to some other podcasts I'd like to listen to, I think he most recently wrote a favorable letter to the Fantasticast praising their coverage of the Dr. Doom story. So this is the Professor Allen that wrote in to Fantasticast. Hail Doom! But that's enough honoring of the character of Dr. Doom. Let's now go honor some other podcasts by playing their promos, and afterwards we'll get back with a review of Green Lantern number 16.
1: The founding of a family.
0: You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. We
1: can't move.
0: Too heavy. We're all alive.
1: I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Uh, look what's happened to you. Angel. Oh Reed, no, you do. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly! We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon the mole man will have the entire world in his power! I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little debate dream, they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom.
0: Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You earthlings think- can't change the way I can. That means
1: I'm the most powerful person on earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the thinker. I vow never to return my lord until the fantastic four no more, and the planet earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ramatons, king of kings, master of men, and lord of the seven Suns you're just a muscular freak blind or halt stop you must not enter the castle of Diablo my My journey has ended this planet shall sustain and deliberately drained
0: of all elemental life so be Galactus flame on it's quambering time the fantastic four from the very beginning witness the origins of a legend the fantasticast ffcast dot
1: why, hello there, lovely ladies. May I just say that you look quite beautiful in your matching Slave Leia metal bikinis. You have permission to come aboard my den of nerd Some people would call it my mom's garage. I call it 10.1 forward. Can I interest you in a death stick? Nope. <laughs> I was just kidding. Have a shot of trying it. Once you get loosened up, we can play a friendly game of Strip bispin. Let me loosen that strap.
0: Hey, suckers. Maury Clawhammer here, okay? You want your freaking Star Wars? I got your Star Wars right here! What about the Star Trek? You like that shit too, right? Right? That's what I thought. Well, we got that and we got more freaking comics and you can read in your entire miserable goddamn life. Hey, there's even a girl who talks about unicorns and goddamn Harry Potter and M... M... M-, M-, M- them goddamn Oriental cartoons with the big eyes. So you get your ass over to the Two True Freaks podcast at twotruefreaks.libson.com. That's spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, all right? All right? Good. You can get there on the internet and choose from hundreds of quality Two True Freaks podcasts. And would it kill you to buy a goddamn t-shirt? Remember, Two True Freaks, Two True Freaks, Two True Freaks, Two True Freaks. In a world where planets die.
1: I have come to the conclusion Krypton is doomed. Did I hear
0: him right? Where good and evil fight a never-ending battle.
1: But millions of people will die. Millions.
0: Once again, the press underestimates me. One man will become a hero.
1: Every world needs its heroes, Clark. They inspire us to be better than we are. Protect us from the darkness that's just around the corner.
0: One man will rise to the challenge. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane. One man will wear spandex.
1: Well, one thing's for sure, nobody's gonna be looking at your face. Mom? <laughs> well, they don't call them tights for nothing. <laughs>
0: Presenting The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast looking at the Man of Steel's history via his earliest adventures in comics, radio, and film. Featuring reviews, commentary, creator spotlights, and more. Join the adventure at GreatCrypton.com.
1: Attention, people of Earth, do not resist us all who oppose us shall be annihilated we command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe they are sure to defeat your earth monsters all those who are hearing this are now under the control of the earth destruction directed 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 hey you yes you hearing this message do you like podcasts? Well, evidently you do, because you're listening to one right now. Do you like giant monsters? Of course you do! Who doesn't like giant monsters? Well, then, have I got the show for you. Earth Destruction Directive is the newest Daikaiju podcast on the internet, and we talk about all your old favorites, like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, and Gamera, but also lesser-known monsters, like Gappa, Yongari, and Giyawa. We cover everything from movies to comic books to video games, and we're kicking it old school. This is breaking news. We are receiving word that Earth's Destruction Directive is now a part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. Listeners are advised to stay in their homes and listen to all of the fine quality podcasts on the Two True Freaks podcast network. Available at twotruefreaks.libson.com. We now return you to your regularly scheduled broadcast. Wait a minute. Is this true? Earth Destruction Directive is now on the Two True Freaks Network? You bet your oxygen destroyer it is. So if you love atomic-powered, fire-breathing, hardcore, giant monster action, then head on over to two twotruefreaks.libson.com and check out Earth Destruction Directive. We're turning all of your Dai kaiju dreams into city-smashing reality.
0: And welcome back. I'd like to make one more piece of housekeeping commentary, and it's about the thrilling adventures of Superman. I just wanted to mention that because it is so suddenly funny that it's almost unbearable for me. And the item that cemented my opinion on this was, oh, a couple of issues ago, I think, when Michael was covering the Sunday strips and the Lamite story, There was a bit in there where Michael asked why these people would be building a building in the middle of a swamp. Now, of course, if you're any type of Monty Python fan, you know from Monty Python and the Holy Grail there's an entire scene of a man who's built his castle in a swamp and the problems that he went through. And I was practically screaming at my iPod that Michael didn't make the obvious reference and put a clip in there to reference the parallel. He didn't, but... As I went on with the rest of the story, at the end of the show, he cleverly put the clip in as a stinger, and it just cracked me up. It was so enjoyable to know that there is also a superhero fan who is clever enough to remember Monty Python references as well. Go listen to Thrilling Adventures and all the podcasts that I promo on the show. But enough mutual admiration, let's go ahead and get on with the review of Greenlander number 16. Green 916 was cover dated September 1991. The cover price was $1 US, $1.25 Canada, and 50 pence UK. The title was Scriptures. The writer was Gerard Jones. Penciler was M.D. Bright. Inker was Romeo Tangal. Colorist was Anthony Tolan. Letterer was Halbert de Guzman. Associate Editor was Kevin Dooley. And Editor was Andy Helfer. The story opens with a furious Green Lantern, John Stewart, flying in to punch out the humans who were gunning down the aliens who were trying to peacefully meet with Hot Widow Mom Rose. As John looks over the injured bodies of Tomar II and Haranjo, Moses Rockwell, the man whose son was shot in issue 14, clubs John on the back of his head with his rifle. But before he can get in another blow, Hot Widow Mom Rose grabs Moses from behind and tries to reason with him. Screaming that Rose can't know that the Green Lantern is there to protect them, Rose says that she is sure, because John told her he was. When they spent last night together, thinking that they did a little more than just talking, one of the mob members accuses Rose of whoring herself out to the Green Lantern for protection. As one could imagine, this doesn't end well, as Rose jumps the guy, taking him to the ground. But before the rest of the mob can put a bullet in Rose... One of the people who was trying to peacefully contact the aliens pulls her away. Disgruntled, the two factions cautiously retreat, leaving John to care for the wounded Tomar. But as the two groups go their separate ways, the Zudarian forces fly in overhead. Certain the aliens are here to wipe them out, the humans fire upon them, and the Zudarians respond in kind. Chaos grips the two cities as both human and alien are falling to each other's weapons fire. Rose screams to John to do something to end the violence, and John responds, with willing giant walls of Owen soil high into the sky, separating Hope Springs and the Sudarian city. John then transports the wounded back to their cities to remove them from danger. But he realizes that separating these two cities isn't enough, John wills mountainous ranges to form between all of the transplanted cities, effectively cutting off the aliens from physical contact with any other species. But, in doing so, it's taking all of his willpower to keep the barriers up, and it's his task that the Guardians aren't sure that John can maintain. The Guardians muse that they once tried to contain certain expansionist life forms, with dire consequences. But they remain steadfast in their opposition to interfere, saying that they will learn from whatever outcome occurs. Meanwhile, back in Hope Springs, an overworked health clinic is tending to the wounded. People are buzzing about the attacks by alien forces, and there is one man who is rallying people to his cause. Moses Rockwell is drawing in crowds, saying that now the enemy is not just the alien, but the Green Lantern himself and they must do whatever they can to kill him. But in another home, Rose and her band of humans working for peace try to use the radio and translator to contact Tomar too. They reach the hospital he is in, and after a tense moment with Tomar's physician, Tomar agrees to talk with Rose. He tells the group that unrest is growing, not just amongst the Zudarians, but of all the differing races on there's more and more races who now not only want the death of each other, but the death of the Green Lantern, too. And as the recovering Zudarian signs off, Rose hangs her head in apprehension, not knowing what to do. At the same time, Benny, one of the group who was listening to Tomar and Rose's conversation, steps out to clear his head. But as soon as he is away from the home, he runs away to the house where Moses and his people are. He tells Mr. Rockwell about the alien distrust of the Green Lantern, and Moses feels that this might be the time to make some allies. Back at Rose's home, the group is desperately trying to contact any aliens who will ally with them. They finally find one in the form of the Crystalline Aliens, who say that they will support Green Lantern. Of course, they mean their Green Lantern, Chaselon, and they abruptly end the call in order to summon him. Tired, angry, and frustrated, Rose is asked to stop trying to reach other friendly transplantees and allow someone else to try. Rose looks for Benny, the guy who stepped out to get some air, to take over, but she finds that he is long gone. Fearing the worst and at the end of her rope, Rose uses the translator and radio in a desperate design to summon the red-skinned horde. Meanwhile, Benny and Moses are having great success bringing aliens in to their cause. Many groups, including the Z- Zudarians and the Malthusians, are ready to revolt against the Green Lantern and the Guardians. In fact, the Guardians know of the unrest, and still plan on taking no action. But one race, the Crystalline Aliens, is taking action, by linking themselves together and sending harmonic vibrations into space to contact chaseline and as the harmonics reach their intended target, Chaselon heads off to investigate the quote unquote tone of menace. Bewildered by his departure, Hal Jordan and New Green Lantern recruit Brick chase after him, as the only direction he could be heading is Oa. Finally, hovering above Oa, Jon Stewart strains to maintain control over the barriers he's erected. Feeling it's only a matter of will to keep this going, John struggles to silence the screams of bad man and killer in his head, but as hard as he tries, there is one voice he cannot drown out, and that is the voice of the old timer who is occupying John's mind and vowing to destroy it. I know it's kind of a trite cliché for the formerly dead being to inhabit the hero's mind to cause him to do things that he probably wouldn't do normally. In this case, it's a bit different. In this case, you're not really certain whether there's been some sort of psychic link between the old-timer who's dead and John, or whether it's just John's built-up guilt and frustration over all the things that he hasn't been able to accomplish or feels that he's done wrong that is causing him to act this way. The writers want to give you the idea that it's actually John being manipulated by the old timer, but you can kind of tell by yourselves that it might be John being unwilling to face his own, and I hate to use the phrase, personal demons, and reacting in this kind of manner. It's really nice that we get a comic book that doesn't spell things out for you and makes you actually have to think a bit about it. But now I'll get on to notes proper and we'll start off with the cover. It's a really nice cover, but if anyone ever thought that Samuel Jackson of this time period of nineteen ninety and nineteen ninety one wouldn't be a great choice to play Green Lantern, especially Green Lantern John Stewart, I think this cover should convince them otherwise. Because it's got John standing there looking angry as all get out. And he's even uttering Samuel L. Jackson's famous catchphrase. Enough
1: is enough! I have had it
0: with these motherfucking Loving.
1: Snakes on this
0: motherfucking Loving. Plane! Everybody strap in! About to open some... Airplane. Windows. Yeah, it's kind of odd, especially because the cover says enough is enough, and it's basically mimicking, you know, about ten years, well more like 15 years early, the line that Samuel Jackson so cleverly delivered in the fine cinematic masterpiece, Snakes on a Plane. Page 2, panel 5, we get Rose saying that she spent the night with John, which, unfortunately, the bunch of, you know, essentially local yokels misinterprets that she slept with John. Thank goodness that she didn't tell the mob that they actually had coffee, or they really would have thought that they'd been doing the horizontal Humpty Dance. Page 3, panel 2, we get, of course, the balding redneck guy yelling at Rose, saying, No wonder you think he's going to protect you. You're selling your lily-white body out for protection. Yeah, not only racism, but, you know, connotations that Rose is basically being a whore for protection. I can't see this working out well for this guy. Then on the same page, panel 5, as Ibrahim, who is Palestinian, we find out later in the issue, you know, rescues Rose from the mob, one of the uh, rednecks of the gun says, I think we'll just do that, Musleth. Now, for a moment I thought, is that some sort of just stupid Arabic slur that these rednecks are using against him? And actually I found out that no it isn't, it's just his last name, so... Thankfully, they didn't use a racial slur in the book. And they just used his last name, which unfortunately kind of looked like it might have been a racial slur. Pages 6 and 7, we get the depiction that John, from the front cover, has actually had enough. As he uses just an amazing amount of will to basically put out a wall of green energy, which smashes all the alien spaceships that are flying towards the humans and separate the humans, and then dig into the earth of Oa and pull up pieces of rock that are going to be made into these mountainous ridges that are going to separate the cities on Oa. It's a really dynamic, basically, it's not a two-page splash, but it's covered over two pages, and it's about half the uh, page each side, and it's just John using all of his will to make this happen. It's a really awesome drawing. On page 8, panels 2 through 4, we see John teleporting aliens, you know, Tomar 2 and Haranjo, which I'm assuming is the purple alien who got injured in the conflict at the beginning of the episode. Issue episode, whatever. It's one of those neat little tricks that the Green Lantern Ring can do that you don't often see it doing, and taking people and teleporting them. And then on the same page, panel 5, we get a kind of wonky picture of John as Green Lantern. It looks like he's suddenly grown a mustache and, well, it doesn't really look like John. It looks more like Billy D. Williams as Green Lantern. So, this episode, we've been able to get both Samuel L. Jackson as Green Lantern and Billy D. Williams.
1: There are two rules to remember if you want to have a good time. Rule number one, never run out of Cult 45. Rule number two, never forget rule number one.
0: So smooth. Pages 10 and 11 we get another nice two-page splash of John just hovering over his creation. He's basically built up mountain ranges around all the various cities, and you see all these weird alien cities, from the Zadarians to the water world to these sort of organic rock-like spires. It's a lot of really neat artwork showing the various cities that John's trying to separate, and it's also kind of cool as well because the mountain ranges that he put up around them, actually have the sort of green energy that you'd get you know, whenever there's a construct being formed. So that's a nice little touch in this piece of art. Then page 13, panels four through five, here's where things start to get a bit preachy. Ibrahim, the uh, Palestinian who helped out Rose at the beginning of the episode, issue so, basically delivers a little monologue that goes like this. I left my home in Palestine because I thought all the ancient fights there could never be ended. All those walls could never be torn down. I wanted a land without walls, but I am here, where the walls are higher still. We must not let it become like Palestine. We must not let the walls stand so long as we can speak over them or we can see over them. We must at least keep talking, loud enough to be heard. It's a nice sentiment that's actually very well written, but having it shoehorned in by a Middle Eastern character just seems to be a bit cliched. It's also sad because the plight of the Palestinians is kind of overshadowed by the fact that their leaders their leaders tend to be organized with terrorists, so it really does do a disservice to, her, to the cause of the people when their leadership is actually working in such violent manners. Like I said, I don't really like getting political in this podcast, but there's a part of the story that deals with it, so I thought I had to at least touch on it. Page 15, panel 4. Hey, the flaming poop monsters are back. Yes, it's the return of the Shugs. I don't think they've been in the issue since, well, that one John Stewart story at issue 13. So we're going to get to see a bit more of the giant, orange, rocky, flaming poop monsters. So look forward to that. Page 16, after Rose has contacted Tomar too, and basically asked if they could get together to try and come to a peaceful solution, Benny steps out to quote-unquote get some air, and of course he sneaks away to where Moses and the rest of the mob is staying, thus once again proving that you should never trust a ginger, or guys named Benny for that matter. Benny, your had got her ass to Mars. Page 19, panel 1. Here we've got a panel where the art looks kind of wonky. Moses is talking with Benny on the translator radio trying to get in touch with some of the aliens to start up a war against the Green Lantern. And in the panel, Moses has his hand clenched up in a fist. However, his fist looks about as big as his head. It's really off-putting and the perspective's really off. It doesn't look like the fi- the fist is on the right hand side. It's his right hand, but it looks closer to the viewer, so it looks really enlarged. It's just some bad artwork and a little nitpicky thing to point out in the issue. Page twenty, the chase aliens, and they've never really been named. They're just diamond dodecahedron D twenty type aliens. You know, link together and decide the best way to contact Chaselon is through the cosmic hum. Let's see. Sound, vibration, sent through space to contact another of their race. Does anyone see how this might not work in a real physical world? But it is comics, so comic book physics. And of course, on page 21, Chaselon receives the tone of menace the tone that has been sent through the vacuum of space. And of course, that brings Hal Jordan into the picture where Hal's basically going to have to come in and save the day. I'm certain John will be really happy about this. And finally, on page 22, we get the giant visage of the head of the old timer behind John as John's looking shocked and we realize that the old-timer has been manipulating John this entire time. Hmm. Who didn't see that coming? Not a surprising cliffhanger, but one that will be, well, more fully realized in the next issue. Well, that finishes up my notes for the issue, there was an interesting letter in the letters pages, which is titled Oa, by the way. Clever. It's a letter from one John Slobins of Damascus, Maryland, and he posits the reason that Guy Gardner wasn't basically completely turned into a pulp when he smashed through one of the yellow sky cycles of the weaponers in the uh, Guy and his North storyline was because Guy secretly used his ring to extract silicon from the rocks and oxygen from the air and fuse them together into a quartz shell. Since pure quartz is transparent... It would have been invisible to the destroyers and us readers, but it would have protected Guy from another yellow bolt thrown at him. Furthermore, since quartz is harder than steel, the invisible quartz shell would have allowed Guy to crash through the sky bike without so much as mussing his hair. Ta-da! Yeah, it's a pretty goofy explanation, but the one neat thing was they decided to give him a no prize for it. Well, no. No prize is a Marvel thing. And since they couldn't give him a baldy... Since that's particularly in the Superman books, they decide him to make they decided to make him an honorary member of the Green Lantern Corps for his impressive workaround on why Guy could actually be effective against something yellow. Now, I'm not certain if people got to be honorary members of the Green Lantern Corps before. This is the first time I've seen it in these letter pages. Maybe it happened in previous Silver Age or Bronze Age issues. I'm not really certain about it. But with those notes out of the way, let's go ahead and take a look at some of the ads, which I think are going to be a heck of a lot more interesting this time around. Saving the first ad for later. In the middle of at the beginning of the book, we get free hot gear for hot dogging with Ballpark. And basically we get the Simpsons Poochie, pre-Poochie, selling us Ballpark hot dogs. And if you order enough hot dogs and send in, I guess, UPCs from them, you can either get a pair of glasses, a pink ballpark baseball cap, or a green ballpark fanny pack. Or if you want to save up and give them like 12 UPCs, which will be, let's say, to a hot dog. So that's 94 hot dogs. You can send in for all three of them and be the most stylish person on your block with ballpark hot dog merchandise. Thank you, 1990s. Next page, we get an ad for the Dungeons & Dragons game, and this looks a bit more elaborate than what I have. It looks like it's a bunch of... It looks like actually a risk board, where you've got the little cutouts on the plastic pieces that you move around a board. I remember playing Dungeons and Dragons basically with a bag full of dice and a paper that Add your character information and all the items that you were carrying on it. This looks a bit more elaborate, and maybe it was a way to get people who, you know, needed a bit of a boost to their imagination into playing the game. Interesting enough. Later on in, we get another ad for Bill & Ted on the NAS and the Bill & Ted's Excellent Video Game Adventure. No idea, I don't think I played this, but if it's like any of the other movie adaptations of video games, it's Probably not the best game that's been put out there. Then we get another ad for Great Eastern Conventions with a wonderful, looks like Neil Adams Joker on there, saying the giving the August schedule and their two big shows in Washington, D.C. and Indianapolis. So you could have checked out the Great Eastern Conventions back in 1991. And of course, like most of the comics of the 1990s, we get Crunch, Oomph, Wham, Fleer Football Cards. If you're a comic book reader and you're interested in Howie Long, Warren Moon, or Dan Marino, then these ads are just for you. Sadly, they're just not for me. And then on the next page, I can't remember if I talked about this before, but I'm going to talk about it now. Join the world of Steven Seagal. Yes you can become a member of the Steven Seagal Fan Club. And for just 24 95 you'll get all of this. An official membership card, a Steven Seagal t-shirt, the Steven Seagal biography, worldwide martial arts catalog, product line catalog, plus the special edition, full-color Steven Seagal poster. Wow. Being that this is 2012, It is kind of sad to see how far Steven Seagal has fallen. Later on in, you get the typical hodgepodge page with the Atlas body and drawing superheroes. Nothing really interesting there that we haven't covered. Next page, we get another promotion for the Impact comic, The Fly. I think we covered this in a previous issue, so no use dwelling on that. Then on the back inside cover, we've got two free second-series baseball cards in every box of Cracker Jacks. So not only do we get caramel-covered popcorny goodness, we also get baseball cards. Well, I think it's appropriate, you know, with the whole correlation between baseball and Cracker Jacks. It's a good promotion. Just, again, I'm not a sports card collector. And then on the last page, the outside cover, we get... Play a game with a lot of horsepower, and this is the Lone Ranger game for the NES. Again, I'm not certain if this might have been a crossover from the Legend Lone Ranger movie. I think the movie came out a bit before this, so it might just be a Lone Ranger game on its own. But as I've said before, most video games that are based off of movies really don't turn out to be the best ones, and the fact that aside from this advertisement, I've never heard of the game really leads me to believe that this might be one of those games as well. But thankfully we do have a great ad in the comic. We finally have a return to the Three Musketeers adventure. So let's get ready for some dramatic reading as we get to Three Musketeers adventure number five in a series of however many. This one is set uh, basically in the mayan jungle and we've got three archaeologists very indiana jones looking with the uh, caption above it saying deep in the mayan jungle a team of jungle explorers stumbles upon and one of the explorers says
1: the lost
0: tomb of the last mayan king one of the other explorers yells we found it cut to the next panel and they've entered the mine tomb and lit up some torches or walking down the stairs and one of the explorers says these symbols say to go this way in the next panel we get the indiana jones looking one holding up his torch and says hold your torches high we're almost there in the final bottom panel we see the three explorers find the treasure room and one of them yells incredible the other explorer says should we take it to the museum and the final explorer says no Let's eat it here, and as you probably guessed by now, it's a giant three-musketeer bar that's been laying around in a Mayan temple for, oh, a couple of thousands of years. So if these guys actually do eat it and it's actually any flavor value at all, I'd be impressed. I guess it'd be another way that the ancient aliens are actually using, you know, their powerful alien knowledge to uh, preserve chocolate for thousands of years in strange temples in Mexico. Who knows what the hell they're doing. And of course, you get the final blurb of where will three musketeers turn up next? Big on chocolate. Well, I'm certain there'll be more interesting places where three musketeers will turn up, because I'm pretty certain the ancient aliens really enjoy screwing with us. But that's all for this episode. I invite you all to come back next week for the final chapter in the Mosaic storyline in Green Lantern Comics, where Jon Stewart has a heart-to-heart with Dr. Phil and works out all his feelings. No, that doesn't happen. In fact, that would be completely and totally awful. So come back next Friday for an excellent, non-Dr. Phil-filled episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. Until then, we'll see you next time. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyrighted by the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at justoneoftheguys, all one word, dotlipson, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans for the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast. And, if you'd like to, give me a review on iTunes. I'd love to read them on the air. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me on Facebook, because I don't have an account there. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for today's show was Walls, by the band Yes, off their album Talk. If you're interested in Yes or Progressive Rock as a whole, you can probably go to iTunes and do a search for Progressive Rock or Yes and download those songs there. Or even better, you could go to the 2 True Freaks website at 2 click the Amazon.com banner at the top of the page. That'll link you to Amazon.com, and you can purchase all the Yes songs that you want for your personal music library. And at the same time, you'd be helping out a podcast friend of mine and making sure that quality Demonsicore podcasts are kept on the air indefinitely.